If you appreciated listening to this podcast and are considering to donate some money to a nonprofit organization this year, I'd like you to consider donating to the Sangre de Cristo Seminary through the Spirit Campaign this year, starting November 15th through December 31st. Every donation you give up to $1,000 will be matched by generous contributors through the Wet Mountain Valley Community Foundation. If you are interested, the link is in the show notes. Any contribution that you give will be greatly appreciated. We'll record a segment on mustaches versus beards. So, Ferris, why do you prefer the mustache? Well, I don't necessarily prefer the mustache, but uh, the mustache is quite circumstantial. I have a very youthful face. If I could grow a beard, I would. Wow, my voice is tiny. Dang. Hello, hello, hello. I always thought you needed to project more. That was it. Thank you for listening. (laughs) Welcome to another episode of Practically Theologians, where we attempt to make theology practical. We are here at Sangre de Cristo Seminary in... You know what? I always feel weird when I pronounce the name of the seminary, because it's got like a Spanish twist to it. I never feel like I nail it, but... Well, Sangre de Cristo. What was that, Margarita? Sangre de Cristo. Sangre de Cristo. That is where we are. We are in the classroom. Westcliff, Colorado. (laughs) And uh, today, I have joined with me, Nikki is my name. I got Ferris here to my right. Hello. And I have Jeremy to my left. Hey. And I have uh, Yeshua, or Josh, as his name is pronounced, to also my left. You can just call me Josue. Josue. <laughs> well, we've been working through uh, a book called Biblical Preaching by Haddon Robinson. Excuse me, Haddon Robinson. And uh, just talking about the... They um, can't see you holding the book up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. My so, bad. Talking about the need for expository preaching, uh, what that is, the right way to preach scripture from the pulpit or teach it from a, a classroom or a Bible study. Uh, so just as a, as a way of introduction, uh, just many people might, might not know what expository preaching is. The definition that Haddon Robinson gives is the communication of a biblical concept derived from and transmitted through a historical, grammatical, and literary study of, of a passage in its context, which the Holy Spirit first applies to the personality and experience of the preacher, then through the preacher, applies to the hearers. Uh, uh, what? That's great. That's great. Do you disagree with that? No. Let's no, say that. Let's I don't. That. I just need to hear it again. Try it again. Okay. Uh, so you can cut this or something? No. 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 <laughs> no this, is, this is real life. I, just thought, is, I, I didn't get it. Maybe our listeners. This is raw. This is real. I figured that they would just go back and rewind if they didn't get it. But they keep, So the definition, the communication of a biblical concept derived from and transmitted through a historical, grammatical, and literary study of a passage in its context, that's the first part of the idea, secondly, which the Holy Spirit first applies to the personality and experience of the preacher, then through the preacher, applies to the hearers. Hopefully that was a more clear, articulate nice. way. Now they can sure. rewind and re-listen. Yeah. <laughs> so basically figuring out what the Bible says through deep study of its literature, its historical context, applying it to oneself, and then teaching it to others. That's so it's four much, things. Much better way. Four things. So, so to kind of get us started on this topic, on even why we're talking about this, um, 
what's just the general state of the evangelical church today in regards to this topic of biblical preaching? Like what's maybe something you have encountered um, and noticed as just general patterns that you've been seeing in local churches that are, are heralding the, the scriptures? I've been to several churches uh, visiting and um, I grew up in a church. Church I grew up in, the way that the text was handled was it was more of a springboard for awesome, cool stuff to talk about how to live as a Christian, basically. So if you preach through the book of Matthew, you might preach through um, five verses or one verse each Sunday. So it would take years to get through the, the book. But you would learn a lot about how to live and not a lot about Jesus, which <clears throat> which I like to hear about. But um, I didn't know I, I was missing anything until... I started hearing about Jesus, and that was quite uh, refreshing. But I think that's the state of the general evangelical church today, from what I've experienced in conservative Bible-believing churches as a visitor, too. Recently, we were at a church, to remain unnamed, where the pastor preached his message, the entire message. I believe it was on Colossians, because the big screen said Colossians. He had his Bible on his pulpit shut, and he preached about love. And the biggest example and illustration of love that he used was the story of the Velveteen Rabbit. He never talked about God's love displayed to us at the cross. But he he did have this great story about the Velveteen Rabbit and how it became real because of love, somehow. And and, uh, at the end of the sermon, I looked at my daughters and I asked, did he ever read the Bible, because one of the things he said was, to show your love for God, you should read your Bible. Never once in the sermon, during the sermon, or after the sermon, or before the sermon, did he read the text. That was astounding to me, but I believe that that's pretty typical of what you'll find. People that love God, believe the Bible is God's word, believe in Jesus, and don't don't preach God's word for some reason. For those who like uh, names for things, uh, I believe that that, what Josh has just described, is called humanistic therapeutic moralism. Basically, this is how you live your life well among your fellow man. For the sake of your well-being, you live good lives. And there is no expression of God's glory and his work in redemption on the cross. There is no gospel message. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, I grew up with the gospel message tacked on in the prayer at the end, usually. Mm. <laughs> and so um, it seems as if there's just this notion that the gospel is so elementary that we're just, we're far beyond that. I mean, everyone knows that Jesus died for the sins of the world. That's that's old news. We don't have to rehash that Sunday after Sunday because that's on the forefront of everyone's memory all throughout the week. That seems to be the presupposed uh, position a lot of preachers take. And there just seems to be this new, I need something beyond scripture because I've read the gospel once or twice. I get the story and now I need something fresh. And that's where you you see a lot of churches moving towards wanting these signs and wonders, wanting this experiential um, movement of the Holy Spirit. Or just there. a checklist even. That's something. Yeah. A checklist. What do you mean by that? Well, I grew up in a church that didn't believe in signs and wonders per se. Okay. Although in hindsight, I think they were more 
that way than I initially thought. But they definitely gave people a checklist every Sunday of what to do to be a Christian. Oh, okay. So kind of like a, a, a solid moral code on how to be right with God that... Basically something that makes you feel good. Okay. <laughs> a way that you can feel good. I think part of it, I don't know if you could summarize the entire thing, but it might be the most important part, is I think we have forgotten the fact that God's people have always been a people of the book. Uh, when when God appeared to Abraham, there was a long time where he had revealed himself directly to Abraham, speaking to him. But the first people, when God first appears to his people, he gives them a law. And although Moses did speak to God face to face, for the most part, the religious experience of the people was to study the law. Um, They were told by Moses to teach these things to their children Mm -hmm. as they walked in the way, to write them on the tablets of their, their hearts and on their doors. And these were things that could be written down. And these were things that needed to be thought about in terms of grammar. And these were things definitely that needed to be applied, which the sermon that Joshua was, Josh over here, we should call him (laughs) Josh. Who's Joshua? Who's Joshua? But what Josh was talking about was essentially a pastor who really was wanting the audience to apply the Bible to their lives. But um, he really skipped an important step of, having an accurate interpretation of the scriptures before we did, can decide how to apply them. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. You know, he was relying on really a, in, a, in effect, kind of a worldly approach to changing people in that he defined love and he defined it biblically, I'm sure, according to all the different Greek ways that love can be expressed, blah, 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 blah. Seven different ways, words, or something like that. But never once did he apply it as though God were speaking to his people. He applied it as though a man was trying to help people along in life. Interesting mm-hmm. to think about. Yeah, and um, so just just that this this term expository preaching might be new to some people. And Jeremy, I think you may have given a, a more clear definition than the one I read. Just one more time, just for the listeners, just put in your own words what, uh, in a brief sentence, what expository preaching is. All right, I got to remember what I said. <laughs> uh, uh, expository preaching is getting the meaning of scripture from a study of what it says, about what it says in context of the Bible, in context of history, and applying that to oneself and then teaching it to others. Okay, perfect. So, so with that in mind, why is it important for us uh, as people to be sitting under preaching week in and week out that is expository preaching and not preaching that comes from the, the preacher getting an idea that he wants to communicate, maybe on marriage or on tithing or on uh, an issue that is, is common and, and getting scripture to support that idea? Why should we get our ideas from scripture and then relate that to to the congregation. I think maybe a good way to go about this is taking a look at what Jesus view and use of the scriptures were. Um, 
when we consider um, Jesus' approach to, uh, for one, temptation, uh, where was it that he went? Did he refer to his own authority when Satan told him something? But no, instead, he went to the scriptures and said, it is written, you shall not do such and such. Mm -hmm. You know, you shall do such and such. And as he, and really throughout his life, he would always make his appeal to what was written in the scriptures. In John 5, um, when the Jewish leaders who were surrounding him were questioning him in some regards, he he charged them that they did not believe Moses' writings. And if they didn't believe his writings, which were about Jesus, then how would they believe my words? And one of the, the last things that Jesus prayed before he left was that God's people, the church, would be guided in the truth, John chapter 17. And he said to his father, your word is truth. So it would appear, at least beginning from Jesus, and maybe somebody wants to go into some of the other uh, apostles and what they said, but that Jesus had a high view of the scriptures, and he really saw that as the means of grace that would lead the church into truth. Hmm. And to put it this way, I mean, if you're looking for information on a matter, who would you go to, a ultimate expert on it? Or just some guy. Hmm. When a man gives his own opinion, I have to ask, why would I listen to you on this matter? What wisdom do you have to offer on it? When a man gives the opinion of the ultimate authority, that's very different. There's more weight to that. Yeah. So that is why preaching must come from the Word of God, because that is the ultimate authority and the ultimate uh, source of all truth, rather than the opinion of some guy who I hardly know. Exactly. It it would appear that the church today, for a large part, is highly personality driven. Mm-hmm. Um, that the people who are put out in the front, even if they're really good preachers, are the ones that have the best personality. You know, they're they're easy to listen to because they're funny, and which I'm not discounting that. I think that's a good thing, but we we go to churches often because we like something about the pastor's style, the way his voice sounds, uh, rather than did he read the scripture to me and clearly tell me what it said? Because it would appear from the scriptures that that is is the great burden. That's how um, Christ, <clears throat> Ephesians 5, Christ sanctifies the church by um, the washing of water by the word. Christ does, and and uh, says, just as husbands love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her in order that he might sanctify her by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. In order that he might present to himself the church glorious, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she may be holy and blameless. Now, if Christ is doing that by his word, we can ask the question, what is his word? Well, that's the Holy Scriptures, all of them. Christ is the Word of God, the one who uh, exposits the Father, as it were, but he gives us the Word. And then the second question to ask is, how is it? By what means does Christ do this? Well, what is the greatest means, as we have it in 
the New Testament, for example, Romans 10, is preaching. Preaching is how good Christ does this. Mm-hmm. So it's not the preacher giving us great wisdom that we should be hearing. It should be Christ speaking to us, his word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe we could quote that passage, um, but uh, was it? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Or by the word of Christ, if you're... If you want to say it a different way. Okay. I think some translations say it. Okay. Okay. Works for me. Yeah, Romans 10, uh, somewhere. <clears throat> Romans 10, somewhere, yeah. How beautiful. Right. Well, that, that's the way the Bible quotes itself. Somewhere, somewhere. it is written. Yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, how, how, are they, how will they call on them in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching... And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Mm. That's Romans 10. Yeah. So, so it seems like the conclusion that we're coming to is that Scripture is just abundant in saying the Word has to go forth, Scripture has to be primary in bringing people to salvation, having them come to a saving faith of Christ. Um, but oftentimes... Uh, also... Sanctification. And sanctification, of course. I would go beyond just saying primary. Okay. Um, to really saying that that is the bedrock, the means of grace of the proclamation. It might be that someone hears the gospel and that person didn't necessarily open the Bible to them, but something that that person learned from the scriptures was presented to them. They might have even learned it second or third hand. Mm-hmm. But it is only the truth that is declared in the Word of God that is going to propagate the church, keep it going. Did you want to say something? Well, yeah. I mean, so are you getting at the idea that, yeah, somebody can hear the gospel and believe outside of the church, but in the normal course of life, the church, in essence, is your mother, as it were? I think... Maybe Calvin said that at some point. I can't remember. Oh, I'm trying to look it up here. Um, Oh, Cyprian said that. But anyway, he can no longer have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. And I think probably that might get a little sticky if you're not careful about how you explain it. But, But the point is God normally works by preaching and by the church. So in the church by preaching. Mm hmm I know how my Catholic friend would take that. Oh, the Cyprian quote? How would he take that? Well, he would he would more think of the church in terms of the structure of authority. Uh, the head of the church being the Pope. El Papa. Yes, and Papa. what? No, no, no. These Spanish speakers... Uh, I, can say it in, <laughs> I can say it in Italian, but I can't say it in Spanish. El Papi. <laughs> nice. It's fun to say, but... Um, so in other words... Yeah, careful he, with that quote. Yeah, to be careful with that quote, because uh, the way my Catholic friends would take that is to say that the person who does not submit to the infallible structures of the church and their heritage of interpretation of the scriptures is not even a part of Christ's church. Uh, they do not have God as their father because they have not submitted to Edipapi. <laughs> How about, how about John Calvin? Would that be a better quote? Well, do you have a Calvin quote? I do. There? I do. What's that? 
I shall start then with the church, into whom bosom God is pleased to gather his sons, not only that they may be nourished by her help and ministry as long as they are infants and children, but also that they may be guided by her motherly care until they mature and at last reach the goal of faith. For those to whom he is father, the church may also be mother. So, Jeremy, I just want to take a, a brief moment. I know that this uh, upcoming Sunday you're going to preach uh, at a local church. And I, I was just curious, what was some of the prep that you did? I know you're going to be preaching from Numbers. How did you get ready to give the message that you're going to give this Sunday? Well, my first uh, thing I did was I choose a text that I had already worked on. <laughs> That's always good. <laughs> nice and easy. But, um, well... The first thing I typically do is if I have the capability, I look at the original language. I see what is there that may give me a, a greater understanding of the, or a better view of this text. For numbers, I am not as versed in Hebrews as I am in Greek. So what I did was I wrote initial thoughts and then I went to technical commentaries and got their uh, views of some of the language issues involved in this passage. So maybe, because I know you know Greek uh, better, and I know you've given a few sermons, does it really impact you that much when you look at the Greek uh, of a a text? Does it really give you a better insight into what you're about to be preaching from? It really does. Uh, One of our professors compared it to changing from a black and white TV to high-definition color. Um, While you can understand a, a text in the English, because there have been people who have done a fantastic job translating it, there is just nuances and hints and clues to the meaning of the text and the the per- main point of the text that are easier to see in the original language. It's like having big arrows. Yes, exactly. Uh, Greek syntax is much, in some ways, it's more complicated than English, but because it's more complicated in English than English, it is also easier and it gives you more clues. Another thing that I have learned from mistakes is you never want to go into a text with an idea already mm-hmm. in mind. Mm-hmm. And I learned that the hard way when I tried to preach through Psalm 1. I had an idea what I wanted to say, and I tried to make the text fit that, and it did not work. Uh, so you go into a text, op- not I don't want to say open-minded, but humble, not with your own um, your own intentions, but waiting for God to teach you what to say from His Word. Hmm. Well, that was very helpful. Thanks for that, Jeremy. No problem. Well, since we're talking about the uh, supremacy of Scripture in preaching, uh, let me uh, top those quotes off with a quote from First John. Nice. It says, "The one who hates his says he is in the light, and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now." So the importance of the church in the life of the Christian is, especially nowadays as we have our individualistic mindset, is you can't live the Christian life apart from the church. And that would include hearing the gospel from the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we clearly established that expository preaching and, and the word being the uh, forefront of what the, the pastor is doing behind the pulpit, uh, expositing it is kind of our main concern. So how do we, what criteria do we use to say, oh, this was a good sermon, this was a bad sermon? Maybe the, a common question that a family will have on the ride home is, what did you think of the sermon? So what criteria do we use to de- to determine if it's a good sermon or not? Oftentimes I hear people say, well, it didn't, it, it, 
either made me feel good or didn't make me feel good is a top uh, one that I hear. So how they how they received it and felt emotionally mm-hmm. is is a common. Uh, yeah. And, and sometimes we, I just don't know words. I just forget words. <laughs> I'm like, what's that word? Forget it. Feel. <laughs> I feel like that's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Were you so, going to say something, Josh? Yeah. Were was, you going to say? The, the better question. Oh, okay. Uh, or, or a good question to ask also? Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is it better to ask, what do you think of the sermon? Or is it better to ask something like, what was God saying in the sermon to us? Sometimes you can't even ask that question because the pastor was so far out in left field that God was not saying anything through the well, pastor. Through the velveteen rabbit. <laughs> through the velveteen rabbit. Um, yeah. God is cuddly and soft and old and falling <laughs> apart. <laughs> and if we love him, then we will bring him back to life. If we love him, then he will become real. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Wow. All the implications wow. it could Okay. Well, I hope that's not what he's saying. So focusing <laughs> on the question. I would like to answer your question <laughs> I'm, for real. I'm not bitter. What is the criteria we use? So I, I think in going back to the scriptures, what was the burden of Jesus when he came to the earth? And I think... I'm probably most familiar with John out of the Gospels. But it would seem when he appeared, it was to display God for who he was. It was for revelatory purposes. He wanted to say who God was. And, if we go to John 4, for the purpose of calling worshipers to himself, that God might be glorified. And that that was why he came into the world. There's a really, I mean, even backing up to what is the purpose of a sermon, um, whether it is an evangelistic sermon for the purpose of calling people to repent and believe the gospel so that they might be saved, or it's a sermon more focused on sanctification to call Christians to a greater obedience, it always goes back to the same purpose, that we are calling people to a more pure worship of God either calling them for the first time, they might, they might receive the gospel and be worshipers of God and turn from worship of self to the worship of God, or they might turn more fully to the worship of God away from sin that is reigning in their life. So I think a good question to ask when you went, go home is, how was it that this sermon called me to a greater worship of God? Mm. So some of the things that might need to be in a sermon might need to be things about God. Yes. His person and work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Integral to preaching is that we learn about God from his word. Um, Which... To know how sinful we are, do we need to study how sinful we are? What's the best way? Or perhaps should we study how holy God is? You know, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's interesting. One piece of criteria that I use is always um, how much or of, both or both. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that I use is just seeing how much time the pastor gave to the text. Was it just something that he read in the beginning of the church service and then went on a 15 minute uh, voyage through a story or life event? Or was he actually talking and expounding upon 
the scripture that was read. Um, and, you know, just to conclude the, maybe this, this introduction to what biblical preaching is and the importance of it is we don't want to just be people who are overcritical and going around and saying that guy's doing it wrong. Why isn't he more like this guy? I mean, Sproul had it right. Why isn't everyone preaching like he does? Um, I need to leave this church. I need to leave. Yep. Uh, How do we not become overcritical, but still be people who are making sure that the, the word of God is being proclaimed uh, in what we believe to be the proper way through uh, expository preaching. What is your responsibility as a church member, assuming your church has membership? I think uh, C.S. Lewis had a very good insight in his book, The Screwtape Letters. If anyone's familiar with them, those are letters written in the form of... Uh, that, it's a book written in the form of letters from one demon to another on how to tempt people. And in it, screw tape right into his nephew Wormwood says that the best way to make church going ineffective is to make your patient, the the Christian or the person that the de- that demon is tempting, a connoisseur of churches. Basically, not a humble receptor of truth wherever they can get it, but someone who stands over and resides over and judges the quality of a sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, what we should be is like I said, humble teacher, humble receptors of nourishment who rejects anything that is not right and receives anything that, that is good where we can get it. I think that's really good. I think one thing that we can boil it down to, to keep us from that connoisseur attitude is really keeping one thing central in our minds. And that is that Jesus Christ died for this church. Hmm. And, and I think that does two things. For one, that actually puts us in a place where we care about the purity of the church, that, that we are interested in his church being effectively ministered to through the word. So that puts us in a place where we actually have a motive to um, maybe talk to a pastor if, if we think he's going way off in left field in his own ideas. But that also puts us in a place where we realize that Jesus Christ has died for, for this man. Mm. And we love this person because Christ died for them. And we really desire that they, they serve him well and uh, that it goes well for them and that we really want them to be in a place where they get to the end and, their work was was proven to be a good work. You know, they built with gold and silver that last the fire, and not wood the wood, hay, and straw of their own ideas that is burnt up in the fire. So really just keeping um, the fact that Jesus Christ died for his church at the forefront in our minds when we are doing any correcting. Yeah, I think that's very good. I think... Um I mean, you can't ask the question, are you in a church? But but I don't think that has to do as much with the quality of preaching as with the message preached. But, um, but yeah, that's good. So if you were, <clears throat> so if you were hearing preaching Sunday after Sunday, that was, that was really not preaching from God's word, but there wasn't heresy that contained truth within it. Um, what would be your approach then? Go to your friend Joe and say, hey, are you hearing what this guy's saying? Mm-hmm. What, what would be yeah. your approach? 
Yeah, that can be dangerous to not even realize that we're gossiping about uh, people in our church when we're talking about it, and we're not <clears throat> when we're not giving helpful criticism to the actual person that we are talking about is is very dangerous. We definitely have to make sure that um, we're always building each other up, and kind of like Ferris was saying, that Christ died for the church, Christ died for the your brother who you may not agree with his preaching style, but that that he is. Uh, called to uh, the ministry. Well, I got a quote from my pastor that's pretty good. It's from Revelation. His he, he taught a series in Revelation recently, and he he, he likes to uh, remind me that the church is a mess, but Christ is in the middle of the church. From Christ being in the middle of the seven lampstands in Revelation, mm. I like that because it's very true. Um. Yeah. So, so before we wrap up, can we? You guys have any suggestions for what to do if you're hearing preaching that is not good preaching? You don't gossip. Mm-hmm. You don't want to strip strife in the church. You don't want to usurp the shepherding in the church. Those who are placed as shepherds in the church by Christ, even if they're not doing what you think is a good job, and I stress that what you think is a good job. How do you approach your the preacher? I think it's always safest, and we're often late to go this route, but we should really be praying for our preachers. Yeah. Uh, you know, how often do you pray on a Saturday night that, or maybe even on a Monday night, that your preacher this week would be able to devote adequate time to the study of the Word of God that he might bring the word of God in a clear explanation to the people, that it might sanctify them. As Christ said, that he washed, or Paul said in Ephesians, um, that Jesus washes his bride with the water of his word. Um, So, approaching with abundant prayer the issue of the word not being effectively preached in the church Mm. before you talk to it. Your pastor, about it. <clears throat> and it might be helpful to not just to critique, but offer, or not to criticize, but offer ways that maybe you think he would be benefiting the congregation more. What steps that he can take? You don't just want to say, "Here's all the things you were doing wrong. Now change and walk away." You want to come alongside of him and say, "This is what I believe you should be preaching from. This is what I believe Scripture to, to be saying, and these are some steps that I think you should consider taking in order to move towards that direction." You might even ask what his thought process is behind why he does what he does. Yeah. Yeah. How do you how do you prepare your message? Why do you do maybe topical studies instead of going through books of the Bible? How do you determine where the church is going over the course of the next three months, six months, year in their study of Scripture? I personally benefited from Doctor Aquila's approach whenever he's in a disagreement with somebody. There's three questions that he asks. The first is, could you describe your view to me in detail? And for this case, it would be, uh, what's your philosophy of preaching? And then you'd let them talk about that in detail and ask clarifying questions. But then secondly, how did you come to that con- those conclusions? And then they'll tell you that for a while. 
And then after you have listened to the person, yeah, listening's huge. Yeah, for quite for quite a while, and them talking, then you might say, "Have you considered this?" And I think that's when you can take them to the scriptures. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Jim. I was going to say, and while we're doing this, uh, we need to remember that this man whether he's doing a good job in our eyes or not, has been put in a place of authority yes. in the church. Yes. And we can, must approach it with humility and respect. We can't come to him saying, uh, I pay your bills. <laughs> you need to do a better job because I'm your boss. We have to approach him with humility and trembling and even looking at ourselves. And I think Josh alluded to this, seeing whether maybe we think he's preaching badly because our our standards are off. Yeah, we might be wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Might? <laughs> but you might be. <laughs> um, yeah. I think one thing that might be helpful for us is to actually turn to a passage that I think clearly gives us an example of what good, solid biblical preaching looks like. And that would be Ezra 8. Uh, we'll start at verse 1, but I'll skip a few of the verses. But the main verse we're looking at is verse 8. So this is a worship service after the people of God have returned from exile to, the, to Israel. And it says, And all the people gathered as one man in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women, and those who could understand. And I'm going to skip down to verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Mm. And so that would, that would I think, give us a good example yeah. of biblical preaching. Where God has a word, and the people need to understand. Mm-hmm. So Ezra doesn't just give them a bunch of lessons. Yeah, so today we kind of took a big topic and tried to, tried to give a little bit of an introduction, and I think by no means covered everything that can be covered. This is a, a large conversation that could be had over the course of a long period of time. But uh, next time we're going to be talking about how we go about as teachers and preachers, uh, whether in a small group or from behind a pulpit, maybe uh, just a few stages that we go through from, from prep, how we choose what passage we're going to be looking at, how it's going to affect uh, and minister to the congregation, what's the purpose uh And that's what we're going to be doing next time. So thanks for joining us with Practically Theologians, and we will see you next time.